I'm so blessed by, by this congregation, by the leaders, and um, I just want to say thank you once again to Pastor Heinrich and his team, especially to Hayden, who's uh, apart from his love for Maroon, he, uh, <laughs> he's just a great guy and uh, has been such a huge blessing to me, so thank you very much. This past weekend, um, you guys may have heard that we've, we've had a weekend building up to today, and it's called Love Key because, well, it's a long story, but the short of it is that when we have a revelation of the love that God has for us, it is the key to salvation. And when we realize how much he loves us and we've come to salvation, the reaction should be, how do I love you back? And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And it's not a burden he places on us, it's a truth that he is stating. So the key to living the godly life that he has called us to is to love him back. If you love him, it will lead to you wanting to do life the way he designed you to have life. Amen? It's good, right? <laughs> See, it's a, we've got way more charismats in the house this morning. I like it. Um, so on Friday night, the, the, the focus of Love Key is to minister wholeness to families and unity to the body of Christ. And I really believe that what God has put on my heart is to, to hold these weekends of inspiration where we try to create encounters with God for the youth, for the women, for the men, and for families. So on Friday night, we had the youth night where I spoke about Born to Reign, that we are here not just to, you know, go about life, be hurt, be punched around, and just accept it, but that every child that is born has a purpose, has a plan. God did not make any accidents and didn't say, oops, how did that happen about any of us? He has a design for each and every one of us, and it was such an amazing time in God's presence, and five young people gave their hearts to Jesus for the first time. So we are very excited about that. On, on Saturday morning, we, we had the Queen's Conference. We had the ladies here. Um, I asked my wife to speak on Beauty for Ashes, and she did an amazing job. It was such a blessing. Well done, babe. Um, how many of the ladies were here yesterday? One, two, three. The rest of you must be here next time. It was amazing. Uh, and last night, um, I had the privilege of of, of worshiping with some great men and, uh, and sharing a message about that we are destined to rule, um, that we are, it, it kind of obviously is in line with the message to the youth. And it was just amazing to, to have that time in God's presence and, and, and being challenged by the word of God to really know what is our identity? Do we really believe what the word of God says? And if we do believe it, are we just gonna be hearers of the word or are we gonna be doers of the word? And if the Bible says to us, we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, do you believe it? Because Jesus, according to Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1, owns everything and has all authority in heaven and in earth. So if we're a co-heir, we have access to that. Ephesians 1, 
and 2 Peter 1 confirms it, says that we have been giving every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have been given it. 2 Peter 1 says, we are partakers of the divine nature. Do you feel like you're part of that? Do you live in that? Do you walk in that? That was the question we had for ourselves last night. And this morning, I would like to speak to us about healthy families, healthy nation. I truly believe that our nation and every nation out there can only get to a healthy, strong, fulfilled place if the families which are the nucleus of society are dedicated to God. And that can only happen if we have marriages that are in line with God's will. And that can only happen if we have men and women that serve God, but especially the men. So I've prepared a message on this, and uh, I feel privileged to be able to do it, but also very nervous because I realize that I am definitely not perfect. My wife will tell you and can give you a whole list of all my imperfections. Um, so I'm not speaking to you as someone who has arrived and has got this all down. Um, I'm, I'm really just here because I believe God has put something on my heart to share, and I, I do it with a whole lot of humility and someone who's also still growing and learning. But I don't want you to listen to Heinz Winkler this morning. I want you to listen to God's word and let his spirit speak to your spirit. And if you are bold enough to choose today to be obedient, you, you can know that this can change your life, your, your marriage, your household, your community. Amen? Good. So a couple of things that... Uh, you need to know about me is that I'm a son of God. I believe that the Bible is the word of God, and I believe that I'm called to be obedient to it. So I'm talking from that perspective, that it is the word of God. I grew up Dutch Reformed. Um, I'm now part of every nation, Somerset West, and but that is just the, the home that I go to. We are all part of the same body of Christ, and it's, it's for me such a great picture this morning of, of how that is. And in the last couple of years, God has led me to go into full-time ministry, which is also a weird term, but when I say that, most of you understand what I mean. But if you have given your life to Christ, you are actually in full-time ministry, right? The Bible says the fivefold ministry is there to equip the saints for the work of ministry, right? So we're all called to the work of mercy, but anyway. Um, and yeah, as I said earlier, Love Key is a nonprofit company a ministry that is trying to minister wholeness to families and unity to the body of Christ. This morning is called Nation Builders because I believe that we are the building blocks of our nation, the families, the family units. And I think it's pretty obvious to most of us that things are breaking down and the enemy if you believe the word of God, once again, I'm going to say this a few times because I want it to really land. Um, the Bible says that Christ has come to give life and life in abundance. Four of you read your Bible. All right. So, and it says the enemy's mandate. So that's God's mandate. The enemy's mandate is it, it describes him that he walks around like a roaring lion who came to steal, 
kill, and destroy. So whatever is happening in your life that has to do with killing, stealing, and destroying, or whatever choices that you are making that's killing, stealing, and destroying, you need to know that you are actually playing right into the enemy's hands. And you have a choice. You're either going to align with God and his purposes for your life, or you're going to align with the enemy's purposes for your life. And, and here's the hard truth. There is no in-between. If you are lukewarm, the Bible says you're going to be spat out. If only you had made a choice. It's gone very silent. I, I went to... <laughs> My, my, my hope for today is that I can show in some way what God's plan is for the church and the families that make up the church. Did you know that you are his church? We are his church. We are his bride. How hard is that for some of the men to go, I'm a bride? And we are the answer to the moral decay of our world. We are. By grace through faith, and by making a choice to confess with our mouth and believing in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross, rose from the grave, and by choosing to follow him and love him back by keeping his commandments, you actually step into a position of authority. I'm naming all those specific things because nowadays if you say you're a Christian, it can mean quite a few things. So I need you to understand that when I say Christian, when I say believer, that's what I mean. That by grace, through faith, you've made a choice to follow Jesus, to lay down your old self, to walk in the new. <laughs> On Friday night with the youth night, I asked them, Hoeveel van jylle is wedergebore christene? How many of you are born again believers? There was this one boy in front, he went, what is that? And I was kind of, you know, surprised, taken aback. And I tried to explain it to him. Because he's like, how can he be born twice? <laughs> I said, this sounds familiar, like something from the Bible. <laughs> uh, so, so I said, I tried to explain to him, and there's one girl that, that cut to the chase much better than I did. She went, <laughs> So he's like, oh, I've done that. I've done. <laughs> Actually, oh, I just should have gone with that. Yeah, it's much easier. I'm trying to give him this whole explanation. Anyway. So if you have made that decision, that is a choice that you need to make. And I explained to the kids, and I'm going to explain to you now as well, that if you grew up in a Christian home, it does not make you a Christian. It makes you a cultural Christian. Because if that was logical, then you can go lie down in a garage and become a car. Right? Right? We know that that's ridiculous. And it's as ridiculous to think that you are a Christian because you grew up in a Christian home. So we need to get to a point where we make that decision. And then a, a life given to God, the fruit of such a life should be seen in the fruit of, uh, should be seen in, in, in someone following what Jesus did. In Luke 6, I think, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? but you do not do what I say. Did you know that just after that, he tells the parable of the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on sand? Because the guy who built his house on the rock is the guy who hears the word and does what it says. 
The guy on the sand is the one who hears but doesn't do. That is the difference. After true salvation, it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And you have authority as a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? The Bible says that I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. You died and rose with Christ. I'm going to say that again. You died. If you don't feel dead yet to your fleshly desires, to your culture, to a whole bunch of stuff that is distracting you from Jesus, I'm going to give you a hard truth. Check your salvation. One of the things that God showed me through a, quite a horrible experience I had when I aired my opinion about Black Monday was that I realized a whole bunch of people that call themselves Christians are not. They are cultural Christians because some of the harshest curses and swear words that I received came from people with a cross as a profile picture. And their last post was a scripture. And I realized we have a, we have a crisis. And <laughs> my boys just walk around with so much confidence and authority. I like it. It's taking over the place. <laughs> That's what happens when you raise them as princes in the kingdom. I'm just going to go with that. With that excuse. <laughs> So it's, I, I believe, one of the biggest things. I mean, the Bible says we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Have you read that verse recently? What does that mean? I, I believe it, it doesn't just mean that you should make sure you are saved. I believe it means work it out, walk it out. It is every day going, am I walking in my salvation? Am I walking as God called me to walk? It all starts with salvation. You know why? Because self-discipline and your will can only take you so far. The expectation from Jesus is impossible for our flesh. Because we have the Ten Commandments, which you already go like, I've probably told quite a few lies. I've definitely stolen one or two small things in my life. I've definitely hated somebody. Oh, I mean, um, yeah, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. But we have those 10, and it's already hard, and it's really difficult. And then Jesus came, and he said, you've heard it said that you shall not murder. But I tell you, if you hate your brother, you have committed murder. You've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look upon a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. He just set the bar like right over there. And you're going to go, I do not qualify but why did he do that? I believe it's to show us how much we need to die to self, get raised in Christ so that we can reign in life. Amen? We have authority as co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Once again, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, go and read it. Colossians 1 speaks beautifully about the preeminence of Christ, that everything is to him, for him, from him. God has given him all authority and glorified him to have the name above all names. And we are co-heirs with him. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So as his co-heirs, what is a co-heir? Do you know? What is an heir? Someone that inherits something, all right? So if my father is a billionaire 
and there are three children, and all three of us inherit my father's fortune, then me, my brother, and my sister, we are co-heirs, right? But that is a fraction, like each of us will get a third, say, depending on, you know, who was the best in life, I guess. My dad's not a billionaire, so I don't know. It's not going to happen. But anyway, but I believe with Christ, it is not as if what we have access to is going to be broken up in 8 million fractions, 8 billion fractions. I believe we have access to all of who he is for the lives that we are living, for the sphere that we are operating in. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, that if this is what a Christian's life should look like based on the word of God, if we live in a nation where the statistics show that 84% of us claim to be Christian, 84% claim to be Christian, what is wrong with this picture? Have you ever thought about it? Something must be off. I believe our nation is not healthy because our families are not healthy. And our families are not healthy because the majority of people are not actually living from a place of a relationship with God. I, I believe that a big part of it, are gonna, I know this is more my opinion than preaching, so just bear with me. But from my experience and from what I see, I believe that part of the problem is a lot of that 84%, they really do believe that they are Christians because they grew up in a Christian home. But it's a cultural Christianity. It just basically means that you grew up in a house that kind of had basic Christian Judeo values. You know, what's right, what's wrong, all that kind of stuff. I grew up like that, not because my parents didn't try. It's because I just thought that's normal, you know. And that's life. I'm a Christian. And I got to the point where I was 16 and at a camp for youth leaders, that's how much I thought I was a Christian. I was a youth leader. And at a youth leader camp, I encountered the living God for the first time and I realized, oh my word, I just know up until this point, I only knew facts about Jesus, little stories about him. I could quote a couple of scriptures and tell you about Jonah and the, and the fish, but I didn't know Jesus intimately, personally. And that night, my life completely changed and it's never been the same and we have to ask ourselves how many of these 84 percent have actually made that decision are you one of those am i one of those am i working out my salvation with fear and trembling am i reading the word of god daily praying and then doing what it says because if every person if all 84 percent of those people that are actually christians if they if they were living the word of God, will our nation look different? What do you think? It has to, right? All right, so a nation is made up of what? Provinces. Provinces are made up of areas like the Helderberg, communities. Communities are made up of families. Families are made up of kids, parents, marriages. Who's in charge of the household? This is being live streamed. I'm going to get a lot of trouble. But who's in charge of the household? The men. Who's the head of the marriage? 
according to the Bible, not according to me, according to the Bible, Ephesians 6. We're going to get into that just now. It's going to be very exciting. Our families are not healthy because many people who confess to be Christians are either lying or cultural Christians or just nominal Christians who don't understand the authority that they have in Christ Jesus. I believe that we were not just called to live quiet, peaceful, suburban lives with 2.5 children and a white picket fence. We were not <laughs> I definitely wasn't. I got number four on the way. Build a nation. I believe we were not called to live lives of convenience and comfort. We were not called to that. It's nice, and if you can afford it, it's great, but it's not the point of life. We are called to, li to life and life in abundance in Christ the way he intends for it to be. If you think life and life in abundance is having the perfect suburban life with all the bells and whistles that go with it, then your picture of what God says life and life in abundance is, is warped. I'm just giving it to you straight, eh? We, we cannot be manipulated and influenced and intimidated even by advertisers and corporates who are trying to just sell you something. They're selling you an idea of what they th want you to think you should be like so that you buy their products. They don't care about you. They don't. But God loves you and is calling you into an intimate relationship with him and has given you everything, his life, so that you can have life and life in abundance. So what does a healthy family look like according to God? According to God. And I know this is a super sensitive subject at the moment because the world, the secular humanists and everyone else is screaming and throwing billions of dollars in campaigns to tell us something different and to make you feel bad about what you believe the word of God says. And it's nonsense. You know what they are? They're like a Goliath that's shouting to the people of God and saying what they are and, it, and a, whole, a whole people of God was just standing there and taking it. Not just taking it, getting afraid. Allowing an uncircumcised Philistine to make them scared when they have the living God on their side. What is wrong with that picture? And how amazing is this? A little boy comes along. A boy. Now, yes, this boy had killed a lion and a bear. He was multi-talented, a real renaissance man. He could sing, write poetry, tend sheep, and kill bears and lions. And he was pretty good with a slingshot. He just comes to bring food to his brothers who are in the army, who are supposed to be men. And he sees the situation, and his reaction is immediately, there's something wrong with this. Why are you quivering well, this uncircumcised Philistine is screaming these lies. What is up with that? That's not right. He was immediately indignant and a holy anger came upon him. And he's like, I'll take him out if you're not going to do it. Where are the Davids? Where are the Joshuas? 
Where are the Caleb's in our nation? If you step up and do that, will it be easy? No, of course not. But you have the living God on your side. So let's look at what God's plan is for families. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this is, uh, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me, out of man. Can you notice there that the man gave the woman her name? Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Some translations say cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. I believe that we have a warped idea of marriage built into our cultures and it, 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 the fruit of it is I see in the way we speak. It is my better helfte. This is my other half. So what are you actually saying? You're saying you're half a person. Are you really half a person? If you are half a person, that means there's a part missing. So what are you going to do? You're going to try to find that missing piece in another person. And then when you find it, you feel in love and you get stupid and you don't think further than that. And the other person is doing exactly the same thing. They're like, ooh, you make me feel better about myself. You make me feel like I'm on cloud nine. All the things that is missing in my life, I'm finding in you. And then what you get is two people getting into a parasitical situation where they suck the life out of each other. Until one day they go, I don't love you anymore because you're not giving me what I am missing in my life. And then they say there's something wrong with marriage. I don't want to be married anymore because I don't love you anymore. That's the problem with people who don't understand covenant, who don't understand God, and who don't understand marriage. If you are not saved, born again, walking with Christ, please don't get married. you don't understand what it's about and I might be going against some other opinions here but get saved and then get married that's what I would say <laughs> then everything will be in place join a church and be part of that let them guide you through that you know why it's because this is the way God does that's the way he designed it the word says it the man and the woman will leave together become one flesh you know what that one flesh is? It's one whole person in God, in relationship, in intimacy with God. Another whole person in God, in relationship with God, becoming a new whole. W-H-O-L-E. It's important to know this. Because if you don't realize this, you're going to be a life-sucking parasite in your marriage. And whenever you feel like your partner isn't giving or saying or making whatever you feel like you want or need, you're going to get bitter. And then unforgiveness is going to creep in. And then before you know it, you start fighting about stupid things. But you're actually fighting about 
your identity that's not solid in God. If you know Jesus, if you are solid in your relationship with Jesus, I'm going to offend you by saying this. You should not take offense about anything. If you get offended, it means you're not secure. Offense is a red flag saying there's something that you have not given to Jesus yet. It's still part of the old man kicking a little bit here. And you need to sort it out. Amen? I'm going to preach today. A father and mother who loves God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and their neighbors as themselves, who love their kids well, establishes healthy boundaries where their kids know God first, then daddy, then mommy, then daddy and mommy's marriage, then the kids, and then work is the order of the home. Did you get that? Should I say it again? If we can establish a a home environment where the kids not only hear, but see that father is the head of the home. Mom in his life is first after Jesus. Then the marriage, then the kids. I once heard this amazing sermon years ago and I, and I, I try to stick to this advice because it's really good advice. The pastor was claiming that when he gets home, he makes sure that he greets his wife first and then the kids. The kids will run up to him and he's like dodging kids, <laughs> trying to get to the wife. <laughs> but it's for that simple principle, mommy comes first, the marriage comes first. One of the, one of the I, I know people mean well, I really do. I understand the heart behind it. But when you post a picture of you and your kids and you say, my everything, I, I have to put a question mark behind that. Because if, you're, if you are making your children your idols in your life, what's going to happen if anything happens to them? God forbid. But if you lose them or if something happens to them, your faith will be completely shattered. And we don't want to speak about these things because it's really uncomfortable. But, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't love our kids. Obviously not. What I'm saying is the best way you can love your kids is to love God first. Love your wife well. Put your marriage first. Because if your kids are in an environment where that is in place, they will feel loved. They will feel protected. A friend of mine once said something to me that blew my mind. He, he said, I grew up in a home where there were no rules and I felt unsafe. I felt unsafe because there were no boundaries. It's the same with God and and his, why did he give us commandments? It's not to spoil our fun. It's to give us life and life in abundance. He designed us so he knows this is how you work. This is what you should do. This is what you should not do. It's like when they tell you, you've got a diesel car. Don't put petrol in the diesel car. It will break. And you go, what do you know? It's like, uh, I only made the car. But sure, do what you want. You put the petrol in the diesel tank, the car breaks. And you go, how did that happen? 
But that's what people do every day. And then the crazy thing is, these things go wrong in life because of the decisions we made. And then we go and go, ah, this is God's fault. Excuse me, sorry, did you, are you following God? Are you obedient to God? Did you listen to him up until this point? Is he only now to blame? But he wasn't, get what I'm saying. Okay. Children, this is a verse from, I think I've got this one up on the screen. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents say, Amen. <laughs> Honor your father and mother. This is uh, one of the commandments. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, this is the one we don't like to hear. Do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Does that sound a little like contradictory to you? Because when I discipline my children, they definitely get angry. If, if something seems contradictory, it means we need to dig deeper and ask the Holy Spirit to show us, what does this mean? And how do I walk in this place where I am a father who sets the boundaries in love and my children obey? They might be frustrated. They might be not willing at first this anger from provoking your children all the time, that's a different thing. Because a father's role is mainly to speak identity to his children. So where we want to get to in a healthy home is where kids honor the father and the mother and the parents don't frustrate and anger their kids. Parents who teach their kids the ways of God every day and all day is part of this picture. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 to 9 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. I said that earlier as well. That's where the parents should be. If That's just what Jesus said is the most important commandment. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. When is that? Every day, all day. Who of you think that it's the, the church's job to teach your children about Jesus? Well done, no hands go up. That's the right answer. How many of you believe it's the school's job to tell your children about Jesus and the Bible. It has to start at home. My dad heard this um, dominee once say, Selfs jou hond moet weet, jy is a Christen. <laughs> and you will, you will know, you'll be known by everyone. I mean, children, children don't fall for nonsense. They see right through it. And I mean, have you ever been tempted to say this? Don't do what I do, do what I say. <laughs> I have been tempted to do that, but then I know it's, that's a slippery slope. We as parents are the first place where our children should be learning about the word of God. 
So here's the hard question. Can you teach what you don't know? Can you teach what you don't know? You can't. Just like a worship leader can't lead you to a place that he hasn't been, you can't teach your kids stuff you don't know. That's why I go back to what I keep saying. Your relationship with God comes first. You have to prioritize quiet time, time in the word. How did Jesus respond to temptation in the, in the desert? How did he start every sentence? It is written. It is written. How much more do we not to be ready to do that? Ephesians 6 tells us there's the armor of God. What is the sword? The sword is the word. That is your weapon, your main weapon. Faith is your protection, and your weapon is the word of God. But how can you wield a sword that you don't have or that is blunt? Amen? So how do we do this? How do we live these lives? Is it possible through self-discipline and hard work only? I don't think so. It starts again with true salvation, followed by joining a life-giving church that operates properly in the fivefold ministry where they equip the saints for the work of ministry. If you're in a church where you are properly guided, strengthened, nurtured spiritually, being discipled, allowing people to speak into your life, because guys, yes, we become a new creation in our spirits when we are reborn. But how many of you know that there's, a, there's a, a, a piece of flesh that you carry around and a soul with scars that need to still come in line with your spirit that has been renewed? Amen? So there's a process that still needs to take place. I know a lot of people that believe once saved, always saved, and everything is sorted out at the cross. I, be <clears throat> I believe that as well in the spirit. But there is a process of walking out our salvation, a process of sanctification that needs to happen. And we need help to do that. That is why the church exists. It's one of the main reasons for the church. So we can't do this on our own. So get involved and be open to, to have people speak into your life. As hard and as messy as that can be sometimes. That is the healthiest place we can be. How many of you guys have been hurt by the church? <laughs> Offended, took offense. It happens. Many churches, many local churches start from a whole bunch of people that were hurt in one place in some way or another. The question is, can you get to a place where the bitterness and the unforgiveness is laid on the altar? The same goes for our marriages and our families. I'm going to read this from Ephesians 5. This is, the, this is the fun one that no one ever wants to read out loud, but I'm going to do it anyway. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That's important. As you submit to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. 
How many of you guys have noticed that this passage is actually more about Christ and the church than it is about marriage? How many of you have realized that God has given us marriage and parenting as a way for us to actually stand in a better relationship with Him? Because in parenting, we learn about the Father heart of God. And in marriage, we learn about Jesus Christ's relationship with the bride. Just a side note, I threw that in for free. Uh, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives must submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, so all the husbands are happy up until this point. Husbands, love your wives. You can be very happy, it doesn't say understand your wives. It just says love your wife. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, in the same way, in the same way, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. How did Christ love the church? Unto death. Complete sacrifice. It's very nice to read that first part for us as men. Yes, wives, come on, submit. But the commandment to us as men is much greater. And you know, from my experience, I have noticed that the atmosphere in my house depends on me. Many times I've blamed my wife for the atmosphere in our home if it's not the way I would like it to be. And then because I am in a church and I am in discipleship relationships and I choose to be open to teaching, someone came and taught me that I'm the head of the home. Am I loving my wife sacrificially? Am I laying my life down for her? Because if I love her well, if I lead by example, spiritually in the home, she doesn't even have to think about submitting. She just does it naturally. And then that, there's that amazing thing that starts happening where we, the love between us just flows. But I have to take the lead. I have to take that responsibility. Amen. Okay, I've got 10 minutes left. So I, I have a few foundational things that I, I want to share with you. Um, I believe that a healthy family foundations are the salvation. If, if you are here today and you, you, you have a bunch of struggles and things that are not right, maybe in your marriage or in your home, I want you to, to really ask yourself, Am I saved? Is my wife saved? Start there. If you are, great, awesome. The next step is, have you been healed 
from past hurts. A couple of years ago, I was at the ARC conference where they, they do church planting around the world. A pastor invited me because he said he asked me, when am I planting my first church? <laughs> I had a chuckle, but I, I went. And, uh, and at this conference, I was, I was so blessed because there was this one pastor that said, a life-giving church should do four things. It should get lost people saved, evangelism. Then those saved people should get healed, the process of sanctification, renewing your mind, stepping into what God has for you. Then if you are healed, you should be helped to discover your calling in the body of Christ and in this world. How are you going to make a difference? And then you should be encouraged to step out into that calling and guide it along the way. All four of those people should feel welcome in a service. I was like, amen. That is so true. So the first step is salvation. The second step is healing. Is there anything in your life since salvation that hasn't been dealt with, any past hurts? We know, I mean, the list is endless of things that have couldn't, could, could have gone wrong in your life. When my wife and I do marriage weekends, we, we take a Saturday morning and we, we say, okay, we're going to deal with baggage now. And we take the men and the women separate. And I say, so you've got three kinds of baggages. You've got the baggage of stuff that happened to you that other people did to you that you had no control over, but you're sitting with that baggage. Then you have the baggage of bad decisions, stuff that you've done along the way that hurt other people, that caused you to have debts or whatever it might be. That is baggage that you caused. And then you have baggage of the stuff that you think God did to you that causes bitterness and unforgiveness in your life. If you are hanging on to the baggage from your life before Christ, you will not walk in the fullness of what Christ has for you. You need to get healing. And once again, the place to get that is at your local church, in your life groups, your, your cell groups, in counseling. We know some amazing people that can help you with that. And the, the third one here for me is discipleship, is that constant relational building into your life. Because when Jesus gave the commandment for us to go into all the nations, to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all that he has taught us, where do you think that should start? At home. Amen? Are you excited about this message? <laughs> the following th things I believe are important building blocks that we can build upon those first three foundational things. Identity. Identity is given mainly by the Father. Can a father who does not know his own identity tell his child what his identity is? No. Where do you, as a father, discover your identity? In your relationship with Christ. Seeing yourself through his eyes, knowing what you were called to be and to do. And then you can look at your boy at your daughter and tell them, you are amazing. I love you so much. You are here for a reason. God has put you in my life and I'm so blessed by you. You are my champion. 
You are my princess. I'm excited about your future. Do you know who you are? Do you know how precious you are to God? You can only say that with conviction if you know that about yourself. Amen. Every morning on the way to school, I pray with my boys. And when I greet them in the morning, I say to them, This is my oldest, Leon. He's nine years old now. Say hello. Hello. So in the, in the mornings, I say, who are you? Amen. Let's give him a round of applause. So every morning I remind him, you are my son and you are my champion. At one point, my wife said to me, you should maybe tell them what a champion is. I'm like, yeah, that's very good idea. So, <laughs> so I started saying, a champion is obedient. A champion has good manners. A champion opens the door for other ladies. A champ, you know? So I started, I'm like, thank you. That's why we have a wife, is to help us with these things. If you don't have identity in place, getting to calling is a challenge. Because you don't, if you don't know who you are, because you don't know whose you are, you can't actually step into the purpose that he designed you for. It'll be like a disconnected line, right? You're going to fall about, flail about, try all kinds of different things. And you might, you know, let's say yourself a blinder hunder pik, nou en dan a milliput raak. Jy mag ook iets recht kry, langs die pad, en jou gifting skop in, en jy is cool. Maar jou gifting apart van Godse plan vir jou leven, gaan net een sekere punt bereik. Die vraag is, wil jy in die volheid beweeg van wat God vir jou het, of net in die klein bykie? And once again, as you speak identity into your children's lives, you can also speak their calling over their lives and help them to discover that. And then the third one is to mobilize. It's what I said about the church, getting lost people saved, saved people healed, healed people discover their callings, and then help them step into that calling. It's one thing to theorize and have conversations about what you should be doing and actually going, okay, now you go. This is one of the hardest things for, for a parent to do is to actually let your kid try and fail and be there as they learn. Amen? Can't go into that too much. The, the last thing I want to share with you here, the important values that we need to model and teach our children to, to build these foundations and these building blocks and to actually operate in them every day. And these are areas that I myself need a lot of work in. <laughs> but, I, but I believe that they are true and I am trusting God to help me in these areas. It starts with humility. I mean, that one I've got down. I am so humble. Uh, I'm just like, that's not a problem. <laughs> I am the most humble person you'll ever meet. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, so I have, in, 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 in a marriage relationship, I remember when, when we got married, uh, my one pastor, he said to me, the best advice I can give you is a little system that my wife and I developed. We have a competition. We try to see who can say, I'm sorry, first. My wife will tell you that she's a very competitive person, very competitive person. When she heard this, she told me, this one, you can win. 
But it, I, I can honestly tell you the only way that I am able to humble myself and go to my wife and say I'm sorry when I know that I'm right is because I love God and He helps me. I can't do it in my own strength. But it's like a muscle. The more you say, I'm sorry, and this is also important, you have to actually mean it, right? I mean, it's happened a few times when she looks at me, she goes, you're not really sorry. You're just saying it, you know, to have this be over. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm still struggling inside. So, I mean, I'm real about this, and we need to be real about this. But that is a foundational thing to make all these other things fall in place, is humility. And you can only be humble before God. I can't be humble before my wife if I'm not humble before God first. I can't lay down my life as Christ laid his life down for the church if I'm, you know, with my wife if I'm not doing it with Christ first. The second one is forgiveness. We need to be in an attitude of repentance and forgiveness. I should actually add repentance there. Repentance and forgiveness. One of the best pieces of advice we got in parenting was from friends of ours who also had two boys that are a bit older. And I'm a natural mediator. Like I can completely understand one person's side of the story and another person's side of the story who are fighting. And I can lay it out for them and sort it out. Like I just have a gift for it. So with my boys, when they started getting enough brains to fight with each other, they would come to me and go, I see, I can do it, I do it, I do it. And then come and say, I see, I can do it. And then I'll and I'll listen, and then I'll try to get it out of the way. Okay, you have to get all of them. But what my friend helped us to understand is that we should be teaching them conflict resolution from an early age. And he said what he does with his boys is he tells you are going to a room because obviously, because they come with a problem, they're having a fight. So he says, okay, go to the room. You, each one gets a chance to speak. You shut up, you speak first. You say, what is the problem? What did you do that made me feel this way? And the other one gets a chance. And then you both have to say, I'm sorry. And you both have to say, I forgive you. And then you have to hug it out. By the time they hug, they're laughing. And like it works every time. It's amazing. And since we've been doing that, it's been awesome. I am, and even I'm, I'm spanking a lot less because they're sorting it out themselves. It's amazing. I wonder if they're going to lock me up for spanking my kids. <laughs> and of the third one, which is the hardest one for me, patience. Nee, Leon. Papa kan werk aan die geduld. So it's, it's very... It's sometimes very hard for me to, to walk in that. But if, if you ever struggle to repent and forgive, if you ever struggle to be patient, the best place to be is to go to that place. How patient has God been with me? How forgiving has God been to me? And then it becomes a little bit easier just to get that godly perspective. Guys, I know lives are hectic and busy and crazy. And we run from the one thing to the other. But what we need to realize is that every little thing that you are doing that is in your life, that is making your life busy, started with a choice that you made. So if you are walking in a busy, crazy life where you don't have time for God, it's your fault. It's no one else's fault. You design the life that you live by the choices 
that you make. This is not a popular thing to say. I realize that because we all love to play the victim of circumstances. But you are not defined by your circumstances. You are defined by how you choose to react to your circumstances. If you make a meeting in your sca- and you put it in your diary, you stick to that time and you stick to that person and that you sacrifice that time for that person. But why is it so hard for us to do the same with God, the most important person in our life? And I'm not trying to manipulate or condemn. I'm trying to get us to a place where we just see things differently. Because what is foolishness to the world is wisdom to God. And what is foolish to God is wisdom to man. So just go think about your life, the rhythm of your life, the rhythm of your marriage, the rhythm of your family life, and ask yourself, if I, if I superimpose the word of God over my life and the rhythms of my life, are we in a good place? If someone had to look at my life from the outside, will they say these people follow Jesus? Or will they just see busy people? It's a hard question to ask ourselves, but I believe it's really necessary. This community, this province, and this nation will not change as long as we are just busy in our own little things, in our own little lives, just trying to make ends meet. Do you realize whose you are? You're a co-heir with Jesus Christ, the one who owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That should mean you don't worry about the end of the month. But we do anyway. I know I do. But when you feel that worry, that fear come, you go, no. That is, the Bible says, take every thought captive under the authority of Jesus Christ. If there's temptation that come, you say, I will resist the devil. I will humble myself before God. And I resist the devil and he has to flee. That's your sword. It is written. If you feel worry and fear and stress, you go, it is written. I am this and this and this and this. I am a son of God. I am a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I am a con- more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer. That is who I am. You see the, how the scripture just builds you up, makes you stronger. We have to do this every day, all day. All right, my time is up for sharing this word. I would love to do a, a moment of family prayer, communion, and activation. So we need to get the kids closer. Um, I'm going to sing a song for you. And in that time, we're going to gather the kids. I want, if you are here as a family, I would love for you to gather with your, your spouse and your children, be able to hold them near. If you're not here with a family, uh, find other people that don't have a family. Uh, You are a family in Christ, uh, and you can pray with each other as well. The focus this morning is on families, but don't feel left out. We love you. God loves you. I know this might be tricky with the kids, but it's all part of being a family. But I do want us to take a, make this a solemn moment, a holy moment. It's really a moment where we are, just taking time to bring our families into alignment with God's Word. So for the, first I want to speak to the men. Men, husbands, fathers. Today, 
I want to do a prayer with you. I want to lead you in a prayer. And I would like you to, to pray after me as you are holding on to your family. But let's close our eyes and focus on Jesus as we make this declaration. Lord Jesus, today I choose to step into my role as a husband, as a father, and as the leader of my community in the authority that you have given me. I accept these roles and I repent of any way that I have been, um, sorry, let me try that again. And I repent if I have in any way not walked in the fullness of what you have given to me. I repent of all my sin against my wife, against my children, and against you. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you strengthen me, help me, and guide me to be the man, the husband, and the father that you've called me to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Ladies, women, wives, mothers, I'd like you to pray after me as well. Lord Jesus, today I submit to you and to the role that you've ordained for me. I choose to submit to my husband as we read in Ephesians 6. And I repent of any role that I played of words negatively spoken or in a manipulative way against my husband or my children. I choose today to follow you, Lord, and my husband and be the best mother I can be to my children. In Jesus' name. I wanted to do this here, but I realized time and circumstances might make it difficult. But I, the next encouragement is for every married couple, even if you're engaged maybe, to take a moment today. Don't wait. Take a moment today. Will you take time alone? Look each other in the eye. If there's any bitterness, unforgiveness, issues between the two of you, men, take the lead. Say, listen, let's open it up. Let's have this conversation. If there's anything that you need to repent from, that you know is hanging over your marriage, sort it out. If there's anything that is detracting from the fullness that each of you can walk individually and as a married couple and as a home, bring it to the light and sort it out. The only power the enemy has over you and your marriage is the stuff that is hidden in the darkness. Amen? And then you need to forgive each other. Even if you have to forgive tomorrow again, or the day after that, keep forgiving. 70 times seven is how we should forgive because that's how God forgave us. All right, all the children that can hear and understand me, I want you to pray after me as well. All right, kids ready? Lord Jesus, today I choose to love you first with all my heart, my mind, 
my soul and my strength. I choose to honor my father and my mother. And I choose to be obedient to you and to my parents. Lord, forgive me for every sin I have committed and help me to walk the way you want me to walk in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I would like the men to take the lead in ministering communion with their families. If you don't know how, I'll give you a quick summary. The bread represents God's, uh, Jesus' broken body on the cross. The, the juice, the wine, represents His blood that has flown. And because of the sacrifice that He made, we are free in Christ. And as we, and Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of Him. All right, so I'd like you to take a moment with your family, look them each in the eye, explain to them what this means, what this is about, and then you share communion together and then I'll do a prayer for us just now. Amen. Guys, as we, um, as we wrap up, I want to I wanna encourage you to, to continue to, to really act on the Word as we go into this week, as we go into the second part of this year. And just want to give an invitation as well, if there's, while Hans was ministering, if there's anything in your heart that resonated and you know that there's, there's some forgiveness, maybe there's a fear that you have, maybe there's a a family member that's far away away and you just need prayer for them, for yourself. We would love to pray for you. We've got a ministry area there in the corner, the end of the service, maybe even while the music is busy playing. Our visitors want to encourage you again, please to, to visit with us at the back. But I want to encourage you, if you need prayer, not to leave without giving us the opportunity to pray with you. We would love to pray with you. I want to encourage you as well, if you are in a congregation, please get slotted in there. As Heinz said, we can't do this journey by ourselves. We need one another. And if you are part of another congregation, another congregation, please share what you received this morning with somebody. They ask them to walk with you. If you don't have a, a church family that you call your own, we would love to journey with you in that way and love to get to know you better and pray with you and, and love you through whatever it is that you're having to journey through. There's some amazing resources um, that Heinz and Aleta have right the back information table there as you turn around it'll be on your left hand side an incredible children's bible a, a CD as well together with some of Heinz's uh, CDs please have a look at that support them uh, but we're going to end off with this major powerful song of declaration about Ekin going to serve the Lord and declare that we will be the difference in our town amen we will be the difference with the blood of Jesus and his grace upon our lives we will not just stand by and see our nation, our community suffer chaos and destruction. We will be the difference because of what Christ has done inside of us. So let's stand victorious ones. We're not victims. We're more than conquerors in Christ. I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to worship God with this last song. Please spend some time catering with us. There's some um, more coffee over on that side. All the rest of our family members, not just for the visitors. We would love to spend some time with you. Father, Thank you, Lord, for an amazing time in your presence. Thank you for this word that you have placed in Heinz's heart. We receive this word from you, God. Lord, an, an impartation to, to not just say the right things, God, and sing the right things, but to live it. Lord, there where it really matters, there where we don't have the, 
the, the KPAs and we don't get the bonuses and we don't get the applause from people. But God, it is simply between us and you in the secret place of our homes. Lord, we invite you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, God, to come and have your way. Father, I speak a spirit of empowerment over my brothers in this room, Lord. Those maybe even right now who feel intimidated by the daunting task, I thank you, Lord, that I can speak strength over them. God, to know that in our weakness, we are made strong through your Holy Spirit's power. God, I thank you for hope that rises up in the hearts of wives who feel that I've already forgiven so much, I have got nothing left inside of me, that your spirit of resurrection power fills them, new hope fills them, God, that it is not the end that we can prophesy and speak over the dry bones of marriages, families and destinies and say, come alive in Jesus' name, that our children will be a generation, will not just hear about God, but see the power and the love of God manifest in their homes. We declare that God and we declare, Lord, we will be those families, Lord. Our homes will be the homes. We can't speak for other homes. We speak for our homes. We and our homes, we will serve you with everything, every breath in our lungs. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Heinrich and the show for Somerset West. We really appreciate you guys. Um, let's give them a big round of applause and a big thank you.